0: Bonnie Bryant's Saddle Club series was published between 1988 and 2001. There were 101 books in the original series, plus a few dozen others in spin-off series including Super Editions, Ponytails, and Pine Hollow. The Saddle Club's core members, Stevie Lake, Carol Hansen, and Lisa Atwood, were the besties that horse girls everywhere wanted to have, and they brought plenty of non-horse girls into the equestrian world, too. On this episode, we at long last saddle up to discuss the Saddle Club series. More specifically, its first installment, which is called Horse Crazy. In it, new girl Lisa navigates a sticky situation with a spooked horse and a slammed door to make her way into a friendship with Stevie and Carol. Stevie manages to earn the money she needs to go on the all-important MTO, that's Mountain Trail Overnight, trip. Mean Girl Veronica does Mean Girl Veronica things, but the nice girls win the day. And in the book's final pages, they officially start the Saddle Club. Over the next hour, my guests and I chat about our horse girl pasts, comparisons to the Babysitter's Club, why kids love horses, the way each member is characterized, Carol as the only black character, patterns of wealth, the morality of loving horses, Stevie's questionable business practices, and the healthy models of friendship we see in the Saddle Club. We also brainstorm a bit for our new series, The Goat Girls. Would you read it? Today, I'm thrilled to welcome a pair of my book podcasting peers to SSR. Laura and Hannah are co-hosts of Our Pod. Our, that's O-W-W-R, stands for On Wednesdays We Read. They are best friends who met in college, but actually grew up 15 minutes from each other and went to rival high schools. They both love reading books of all kinds now, but they grew up reading books about horses. So this Saddle Club discussion was perfect for them. Our Pod does a deep dive into a new series, one book at a time, but they also discuss books and TV shows they are watching each week. Find Laura and Hannah's blog and more information about the show at ourpod.com and follow them on Instagram and Twitter at ourpod. Don't forget to check out their podcast. This episode is brought to you by the writing community I launched earlier this month. We already have a few members, and I have been hearing great feedback about how the weekly prompts, writing lessons, and accountability buddy system have been helping them out of their writing slumps. I'm having the best time facilitating it. The more people we have in the community, the more everyone will get from the experience, so why not give it a try for a month or two and see if you like it? Check it out at www.patreon.com ahkwriters. I would love to see you there. I would also love to see you over on social media. The podcast is at SSR Pod on instagram and twitter and you can find it on facebook by searching the ssr podcast or the ssr podcast community in april the ssr book club is reading sarah shepherd's pretty little liars and it's not too late to join us for free learn more and sign up at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssr book club i've learned a lot from my time building this ssr community and one of the most amazing lessons has been the power of online friendships I've made a lot of online friendships of my own and it's been so much fun to watch them grow for others, especially within the SSR Patreon family. The SWR, that's Shit We Read, Book Club, and our Discord channel have been fantastic for cultivating real, meaningful relationships. If that sounds appealing and you want to support the podcast too, you can learn more about Patreon at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast. Patrons get newsletters, bonus episodes, an invite to Discord, SSR merch, and membership to SWR. This month, we are reading The Charm Offensive, and you can still jump in. Thanks to everyone who is already supporting SSR on Patreon. You can also support SSR with a 5-star rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Post about this episode to your Instagram story to spread the word about the show to your friends and loved ones. Don't forget to tag me at SSRPod so I can see. One last thing before we get into the episode. If you're a fan of audiobooks, you need to make the switch to Libro.fm. Libro.fm is an audiobook marketplace and listening platform that offers an alternative to shopping with giant companies. Now, when you listen to the books on your TBR, you can actually support independent bookstores. The audiobooks you get will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm. That's l-i-b-r-o.fm, and use code SSR Podcast when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Saddle up, listeners! Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Hannah. Hi, Laura. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Hi. We're so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. It's always fun to have more than one guest on at the same time because you have your interplay that you're used to having on your podcast and I'm getting to meet both of you. And so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, definitely.
1: We are really excited to be here. I've been listening to this podcast for forever and I like talk about SSR all the time to Laura and I make her listen to me constantly. So
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate you listening and talking about it. I am really excited because I have wanted to talk about the saddle club since 2018, which is as long as this podcast has been a podcast. Wow. I know, so it's a big day. We've only ever done one like horse girl book mm-hmm. and that was I want to say 2018 or 2019 i'll link it in the show notes but we did the first book in the heartland series yes classic classic but like the saddle club i feel like is like core horse girl content so I like let's talk about saddle club let's talk about your history with this series if you have any are you horse girls like what are you bringing into this experience hannah do you want to start
1: Yeah, I can start. Um, I was a huge horse girl growing up. I said specifically that one of like the first big series I got into was the Thoroughbred series when I was little. Like my mom got me a copy and I just read them all. And when you become a horse girl and you don't own horses, you also get like all the science books on like how to do like how to take care of horses. There's tons of that in the Saddle Club. And I was like, well, this is very good for like beginner horse girls to learn about. And I even took horse riding lessons. So a lot of this book spoke to me. I don't necessarily remember reading the Saddle Club but I'm sure I did at some point I'm
2: sure it was on my radar okay what about you Laura I would definitely call myself a horse girl still maybe I don't know I have a lot of animals I live in the country (laughs) and I still like horses but as a kid I was obsessed with them and I remember reading the saddle club books and also watching a tv show that was like not that great but I was really into it as a kid so as I'm like reading this book again I'm like oh my gosh I totally remember how cool Stevie was and yeah totally into it and I read all sorts of other horse books too Thoroughbred Heartland too many to count so I'm so excited to talk about this
0: Yeah, I was pretty into all of the horse series, because I too had a a stint as a horse girl, which I think I talked about in the Heartland episode, but I'll recap for those who missed it. So I was really into horses for several years when I was a kid, I want to say like many years, like proportionate to my childhood, like it felt like many years, but in reality, it was probably like 2 to 3 and I took lessons I was lucky enough my grandfather lived in Saratoga Springs New York which is like a big mm-hmm. horse town and so I grew up going there and visiting him and he like really wanted me to be a horse girl because he didn't get a chance to ride horses when he was growing up so he would like take me to the track and we would like tour the fancy stables there and like I'm not really into horse racing but like he just really wanted me to be like around animals and I was obsessed with them. I mean, there's something so magical about horses. And I too, (laughs) Hannah, to your point, like managed to get my hands on all of these like illustrated horse guides. I mean, look, these like glossy pages and it showed like all the different types of horses. And I just became like an armchair horse expert when I was seven, even though I had like never ridden a horse except for pony rides at birthday parties. And then I finally got to go take lessons, did that for a couple of years and then, I fell off a horse at horse camp and broke my ankle oh. and could never quite get back into it. Like it's hard once you've been thrown off a horse. I really tried. Like I tried to be the like get back on the horse girl literally and just like couldn't get there and horseback riding is so expensive like if you're not making progress like my mom was like okay I, i'm we can't just have you like walk around the ring until you get your legs back on this horse so uh yeah that was the end of my horseback riding career but i did read saddle club i feel like i probably gave up reading all of these books after the end of my horseback riding career because it was just like you know too raw but um read saddle club <laughs> i think i read thoroughbred definitely read heartland but i feel like saddle club was maybe my favorite and I haven't read Thoroughbred in a while. Um Heartland of course a couple of years ago. I feel like Saddle Club is the most like innocent of these series. Yes. Oh definitely. Yeah. I mean is that the appeal? Like what do you think? I think that's definitely the appeal for Saddle Club. And it's just like
1: it's Again, what you and I were talking about, were like before we even took horse riding lessons, it gives you that flavor of like, here's what it's like to be in a stable. And here's what you do when you take care of a horse. And I think little girls and boys who are interested in learning how to raise horses, they're, this is like the perfect candy because you're seeing children like take care of horses and do all these things with them. And it lets you kind of live vicariously through them.
2: Yeah, Laura, do you have anything to add? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just like kind of that idyllic, like horse experience that they get where they're going to the stable, they're going on overnight horse trips, the things that all young people who love horses want to do. So, and there's not as much of the drama that you find in some of the other series like Heartland or Thoroughbred where things get a little chaotic, but it's more just a realistic and heartwarming experience that you get with the Saddle Club books.
0: Heartwarming is a really good word. Also wholesome. It, yeah. like, it felt very wholesome this reread because yes. um, it's not just about the horses it's about like the culture of being part of this community mm-hmm. they ride at the stable called Pine Hollow and there are these traditions and these rituals and they have these ways of like supporting each other and so it's not just about riding a horse it's about like having this group that you're accepted in I think outside of school outside of your family and I think when you're a kid you're always looking for that and some people find it on like a sports team or maybe in a dance class or in an art class or in a band but I, I I just feel like when you're little, and I was little when I read these books, I was probably like seven or eight. And like, you crave that so much. You want to be accepted for what you love. You want to find common ground with people. And I feel like that's what you get from this book, in addition to all of the cool horse stuff. Oh, definitely.
1: It definitely felt like a very wholesome horse version of Babysitter's Club. Like when I was, yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: it's like, this is
1: very much Babysitter's Club with horses.
2: So going on to the friendship thing, though, I feel like when you're that age, I don't think that many of my friends were super into horses at the time. So, reading about this and like having that group that was all into horses that like really appealed to me as a little kid.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I I think the other thing is that like horseback riding is a prohibitively expensive activity. Oh yeah. It's very expensive. It's also somewhat geographically limited. Like there aren't opportunities to ride horses in every community. And so there are a lot of kids that for a variety of reasons, never get the chance to even ride a horse. Like even the fact that I got to ride ponies at birthday parties, I know is a huge privilege and like an indication of the access I had to things when I was growing up. So this is an opportunity for all kids, if they want to, to experience horses. And I feel like I've done a little bit of reading over the years about why kids are so drawn to horses. And I'd love your thoughts, knowing now that you're both former or current <laughs> Laura Horse girls. I mean, I think some of it is like, it's this sense of independence, like, because if you're riding a horse, you also have to take care of the horse. You are responsible for that horse. Like no stable is going to let you just show up and get on the horse and ride. You have to learn how to manage and care for this animal. And then you are inherently building a relationship with them. And then there are also just these like big, beautiful, strong animals. But for me, I feel like so much of it was that like, having that relationship with a horse that I was riding made me feel kind of like an adult.
1: I do agree that there's a lot of like the responsibility aspect and you feel so adult when you're learning how to ride a horse. And it's like, it's a bigger pet of the simplest sense where you're (laughs) like, Oh my God, I love dogs, but this is a dog I can ride. And it's so affectionate and it loves me so much. And I get to feed it carrots. And there is that aspect as well. And growing up, I just remember like, I don't know if this is the same with for you guys, but there's so much like wild west, open plains, horses running across the expanse. That when you're watching it, you're like, oh my gosh, to be that free, riding on this like galloping horse across the desert. There's something so magical when you're yeah. a child imagining that. And I think for me, that was very much it. Where I was, it, it does make you feel like an adult, like I could escape with this horse tomorrow, and we can gallop and just be in the wild.
2: And that's such a great image for little kids. We
0: can start a new life. We can leave this place behind. <laughs> exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I feel like for me I always have like kind of been drawn to animals in general but I really like kind of leaned into like the nurturing and also like the challenge aspect of raising animals and I think that was something that I always enjoyed with particularly the Heartland series where she had the challenge of training animals all the time and I was always just drawn to that as like a horse girl where I read all these like different horse training things. So I think from like a challenge aspect as well, there's always like different types of things going on with the horses that they had to overcome this or that obstacle and get them to this point or that point where there was a health issue or something like that. And I think I'm kind of a sciencey person. So I was like always like drawn to that, like what could we do to change this in this horse or whatever? So that always kind of just stuck out to me in books and movies too.
1: And for a little bit of context on Laura, everyone, like Laura has a small farm where she raises goats and chickens and like cows and everything.
0: I was an animal
2: science major, so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, Laura. Okay, we've been talking for 10 minutes and I'm just finding this out. You have goats?
2: Yeah, yeah. Goats and cattle, chickens. I have
0: a horse. Oh my God. So. <laughs>
2: That's why I call myself a current horse girl.
0: (laughs) I want to come meet your goats for sure. I'm scared of chickens. I'm sorry to say, but I would love to hang out with your other animals. I really want my dog to meet goats. He's really afraid of horses, which is sad. Um, They're big. But yeah, he maybe someday will come hang out and can meet your goats. Yeah, definitely.
1: She would love that. Laura even like, Throughout maybe trying to figure out how to do like goat yoga with all of her little goats running around. So
0: sign me up. They are (laughs) such cute little creatures. I love them. Okay. I'm going to start a goat saddle club. The goat. Yeah. (laughs) The goat club. Yeah. If we're not careful before this episode is over, we will have started a new series that we are somehow going to have to collectively write about girls who are interested in goat yoga.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Laura is great at naming goats. So like she's already there for the naming things. And
0: <laughs> this is a project that I, I don't need on my plate, but I really would like to put it on my plate. So if anybody is interested in working with us on this goat book series. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the goat please club. Let us know the goat club. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like we should just put our heads together on this. I'm
2: in perfect. There's so much to do with goats.
0: So <laughs> much. All right. So let's talk about the Saddle Club before I keep talking about yeah. goats because I could talk about goats for a long time. Um, <laughs> so the Saddle Club is a massive series of books. So the core series alone consists of 101 individual titles, which is wild. There are four spin-off series. The first is Super Editions, which, much like the Babysitters Club, super editions are just like longer and sometimes written a bit differently than the standard books. There are the inside stories, which were written as diaries or journals, ponytails, which I think I totally read, and those were aimed at young readers because Saddle Club is for, like, 12-ish year olds, and then Pine Hollow is for the older crowd, um, <laughs> aimed at teen and YA readers, and it focuses on the same core characters from the original series when they're, like, in 11th and 12th grade, so, like, a little sassier.
2: Hmm.
1: So interesting that you have like a hundred books of them as like children. And then it's like, no, we have an entirely new series to right. grow up with them.
2: I love that there's like Saddle Club Next Generation. <laughs> well,
0: it's like Degrassi. It's like we have to keep, we have to keep growing. Exactly. That's what it made me think of. <laughs> yeah. It's a reboot, just like everything else is a reboot. Oh, yeah. Um, So the series was originally conceived by a book packager. um, And then they they brought in Bonnie Bryant who kind of identified herself as like a very novice equestrian to write them. Originally it was only supposed to be four books. Like when you look up reviews of the series from when these books first came out in 1988, it's all like the first book in the four book series of the Saddle Club. Um, So it was only ever meant to be those four books. And then of course it grew and grew and grew pretty quickly. That's interesting.
1: I didn't realize it was only supposed to be four books. It feels like when we were growing up, they're so endemic like that and the Babysitter's Club or like Sweet Valley High. I remember like all of these books lining the shelves of our library. So it's weird to think if it was only four books
0: once upon a time.
2: But if this was like the first of its kind, I mean, I can see it becoming a phenomenon. It's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they ultimately then brought in other ghostwriters to help Bonnie Bryant. So I hate to break it to everybody who just <laughs> assumes that Bonnie Bryant was the only person behind all of these books, but she did have some help, which I mean, I think anybody would need help if they're going to write hundred plus books about the same characters in the same universe. And much like the Babysitter's Club, the girls in the Saddle Club do not age. So while we do see them go through several summers and theoretically like go back to school a few times over the course of the series. They never get older than like seventh and eighth grade.
1: It's also interesting that it was only meant to be four books. Cause something that shocked me about this book was you had to wait until the end for it to become a saddle club. Like yes. it was their origin story. Yeah. And be like, Oh, after this saddle club is created, there's going to be three more books and that's going to be it. So.
0: Yeah, that's so true. My writing teachers would be like, I'm sorry, if this is about a, a club, we need to have the club start in the second chapter.
1: Right. So interesting. I talked about that with like, there's, it's a new thing. Apparently it's an old thing, but even on the, there's a TV show called Runaways and you have to watch the entire first season before they run away. And I was like, the name doesn't make sense in the context of this TV show.
0: Yeah, I think that 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 seems like a storytelling flaw to me. Yeah. Okay, so the Saddle Club in this book, I don't know if there are other members added later on. I can't remember. Although I did, I feel like I read my way throughout the series, like based on whatever was available at the library. But in this book, there are three core members, Stevie Lake, Carol Hansen, And Lisa Atwood. So let's talk about like, do we have a particular member of the Saddle Club that we feel more aligned with? Is there one that you relate to more? Laura, do you want to go first? Stevie. Yeah, you're Stevie. Okay, tell me more. Team Stevie
2: forever. I don't know. I always just I remember even like the first time reading these books being like, Stevie is awesome. I love Stevie. And I don't know if it's just because she's just kind of flits around and is a little more chaotic than the other characters and I just relate to that or what it is but I just loved Stevie. I
1: love that you love Stevie. I feel like I'm definitely a Carol but I would have wanted to be Stevie when I was reading them growing up but definitely Carol with like how she drops everything but she's really put together and she just wants her friends to succeed. I'm like yeah I probably am a Carol. <laughs>
0: so This is great then because as a kid I was totally a Lisa.
1: Oh, perfect. Oh
0: my gosh. We're the saddle club. Here we are, like the goat club and the saddle club. This is all coming together. So, so much better than I even could have imagined. I think as an adult, I've become more a Christy. Christy, oh. I'm getting them confused. This is what happens. So, in my head, I'm this is what happens when I do babysitters club episodes. So, on babysitters club episodes, I'm like, I was a Marianne and I've become a Christy. So, I'm getting getting my wires crossed. <laughs> I was a Lisa and I do feel like I've grown into somewhat more of a Stevie over time. Um, but Lisa, I relate to, especially in my younger years, because she puts a ton of pressure on herself to kind of be the best at everything. She's really self-conscious about like how people perceive her. She's really in her head all the time. She's a people pleaser, which I hate as a phrase because I feel like it's kind of a little self-righteous and I am not saying that cause it's a good thing. Um, so yeah, I think I was definitely a Lisa and I'm still working on a lot of my Lisa tendencies, but when we meet the saddle club before they're officially the saddle club, Stevie and Carol are the sort of pre existing members of the Pine Hollow community. And Lisa is the new girl because we always have to have a new girl that sort of mixes things up. So what were your first impressions of Stevie and Carol coming back to them as adult readers?
1: I mean, I really enjoyed Stevie because she's such a mess. Like she's so just like, she's just kind of going through life and it's all working out. And I'm like, oh, I love this. And she has like the chaos of her family. And so it's very funny. And I also love Stevie because in every single horse book, I don't know where I remember this so well. They all have issues with math. Like every single one of them is always like my math homework. It's just terrible. I don't get it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, Stevie's the math person.
0: She struggles with math. There's one in every crowd. Yeah. And so
1: I really liked her. And then Carol, I just, I almost, I am someone who lost my mom about a year and a half ago. Mm. And so I think when I was reading Carol's perspective, I was like, why aren't we sitting more with the fact that she just lost her mom six months ago? And it sounds like she's just taking care of the dad. And I was more concerned for Carol than all the other characters, but she also didn't have much going on. So I think I probably just glommed onto that as an adult.
0: Yeah. Maybe in future books, we get more of her yeah. story because I agree with you it feels like there was probably way more going on at home for her and I wonder if there's more of that story in other books. Laura
2: how did you feel you actually remember reading these books right? I do remember reading them I feel like I've always just connected with Stevie and I thought Stevie was the fun one and the cool one and I just I enjoyed reading about her again when I was going through this the second time because I was like okay this is the character that I always thought was the best and I agree with the Carol take too, where we maybe don't see as much of Carol and we probably should have because we get these little bombs dropped on us like, oh yeah, her mom just passed away and she's got a ton of things going on in her life, but she needs to worry about Stevie getting all these jobs. Like what? (laughs) Come on now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Carol has enough going on. I I will say one interesting thing about Carol is that um, she is identified pretty early in the book as. African American. Um, that's the way Bonnie Bryant describes her. And I thought it was really interesting that, it, I mean, it's great that we have that representation in 1988. That wasn't happening in all series. It feels a little bit tokeny, but I'm happy that there is a Black character. That being said, I don't know what copy you have, what edition you are reading from, but <laughs> the carol on the cover. Is an extremely, extremely light skin yes. yeah. pile of color. And I was curious about this. So I did a little bit of research. And I'm not the only one who noticed it. I not that I thought that I was, because there are a lot of people out in the world who are much smarter than I am, but I will link in the show notes to this episode to a blog post I found that really like breaks down a bunch of different covers, not just this new edition, but also like older editions, compares and contrasts. Various covers of the same title and talks about, I, I guess, like Carol is not always described as Black or African American in every book. Like sometimes they mention it and sometimes they don't. And then there's this inconsistency with the way that she is depicted on the covers. I mean, I, I think that on a lot of covers, especially older, like she is um, like in a shadow, which is super weird. And then I mean, I feel like she's basically white passing or yeah, in, in yeah. on this cover. And so I did think that was kind of interesting.
1: I did think that was interesting. I also flagged that like she really is the only character besides obviously her dad who's identified as Mm -hmm. African American in the book. And her dad is also like he's part of the military, which I thought was a very specific choice back in the 1980s to have like two black people in a book and one of them is part of the military. It just felt a little weird to me. But Mm -hmm. also reading it through a 1980s lens, I recognize that it's progress. Back then, just to have a Black girl, even if she is very light-skinned on the covers, unfortunately. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and not only is he in the military, but they're also poorer than the other mm-hmm. characters. Like, she's waiting yeah. for a bus all the time. And again, we have, like, the only child of color in this book dealing with the emotional labor of grieving a parent. And I think mm-hmm. that that's something that we see more and more now and something that we're talking about more and more now like why is it always the people of color and books who are dealing with these heavy emotional traumas not to say that anybody is immune to them but like again just interesting choices that i think are worth noticing and mentioning in 2022.
1: Well, and she's also the most mature of the three girls because Stevie and Lisa get in this fight because Lisa or Stevie pulls a prank and Mm -hmm. Lisa gets mad and pulls a prank back. And this is when Stevie made me laugh. And I'm like, wow, she has a 12 year old child where she was like, I can't believe she pulled a prank on me. And Carol's like, well, you did the same thing. And she goes, yeah, but it was funny when I did it. It's a very specific 12 year old take. But Carol is the main person who's like being the friend to everyone. She's the most responsible taking care of all the horses. She's the one who like Stevie tries to pay her for services that Carol did. And Carol's like, no, I just want you to go on the trip with me. And it's very much she's the emotional and mature one of the entire group.
0: Yeah interesting patterns i thought but let's talk about stevie's like major predicament because like (laughs) it's so such a drama to be 12 and to not be allowed to go on the mountain trail overnight aka the mto as the as the literal kids are saying um (laughs) because you are not doing well in math and i do think it's interesting because it is very clear to us that stevie unlike carol comes from a very wealthy family Uh um and so her parents definitely could afford to send her on this trip. And while we don't see her parents much, if at all, we know that they are not spoiling her. In contrast to Veronica, who's like the mean girl character, who her parents like give her everything they want and they're also wealthy. But we see that Stevie, while she's rich, she's not like... Bad, rich, You know, like she still is, <laughs> those are things that we saw a lot in the 80s and 90s. Like I think right. so often like the wealthy character in these middle school and high school stories was set up as the spoiled rotten brat. And I do think that's like an interesting and unique nuance that Bonnie Bryant uh, added to this story. I did like hearing about like everyone's different wealth patterns
1: because it was very 80s, but it was also very unique where like each of the girls are a different kind of, like you have Carol mm-hmm. who... Doesn't have as much money. You have Stevie, who is rich, and you have Lisa's parents, who are almost like trying to pretend they're like yeah, upper right. middle class when they're really just probably middle class. Um, I also did laugh that um, a weekend trip only cost fifty dollars, and I was like, "Oh, nineteen eighties money." Uh.
2: <laughs> that, is, that is not how much that would cost. <laughs> a <now>. horse <laughs> alone would eat fifty dollars. <laughs> right.
1: So, um, as someone who took horse riding lessons, I was like, "Oh my gosh, a weekend away for that much? That's like a steal." But I did think it was interesting that like, yeah, Stevie is definitely not the pampered child, but she definitely is wealthy. So like, in the interest of the book, she's a mess because she's choosing not to do her math homework. (laughs) She's like, oh, I'm going to do this because I don't want to get a good grade and I don't want to work hard on this. So I'm going to do this other thing. And it's not seen as frivolous as Veronica, who is the rich, rich girl. And she's the bad rich because she apparently is like astronomically wealthy where she can afford a chauffeur and a cook and a gardener and a na Like there was just so much going on where I was like, I just wanted to see what her parents did because I had many questions.
0: Yeah. Veronica has like, fuck you, Blair Waldorf money.
1: Right? Yes. <laughs> where she's like, oh, th- we went to the pool and then we went to the movie room. And I'm like, where are they living? <laughs> yeah. There's a
0: chef, I think.
1: Yeah. So she is the bad rich.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Good rich and bad rich. Okay, so Stevie's big predicament now is that like we have to figure out how to go on MTO because we have all the clothes, everything's packed, we're ready to go. Lisa enters the picture and I, I have to talk about the hilarity that was the drama made of the door slam. Oh, (laughs) what a move. What a move. So Lisa is riding this horse named Patch, who is like the beginner horse. He's sweet. He's gentle. And he's really easy to ride. Unless. Unless. He's scared. Honestly, much like my dog Irving, who is also easily (laughs) spooked. So while Lisa is riding Patch, everything seems to be going well. She's having a good first lesson. And then horrors. Horrors somebody slams a door and Patch freaks out because Patch is a horse and he has instincts and he's obviously going to run if he is afraid. Right. So Lisa is like devastated, not necessarily by the fact that Patch took off because she is of course, like naturally an amazing horseback rider and this proves that she has innate talent. But because this door slam proves that someone at Pine Hollow is out to get her. And that is the most middle school thing I have ever heard.
2: They instantly hate her. It makes sense
0: yeah
1: like and also it was one of those things where when I was reading it I was like oh Stevie was probably like running in because she was late and accidentally slammed the door and that's going to be like it was this huge miscommunication but then it turns out that like no Lisa is right someone was out to get her and wanted to like get in her face about how bad of a horse rider she was and slammed the door and you find out that it is Veronica who's this big bad of (laughs) of the group and it was so strange that like I just thought it was going to be a miscommunication and it went the entire different direction.
0: <laughs> Laura, as our resident farm girl, tell us about this. I kind of love that it became a thing
2: where it was like a nefarious thing when <laughs> Veronica saw her on patch and just knew how to set him off. And I find it hilarious. Like, I think everybody as a middle schooler, as a little kid, just like going into anything, it has these insecurities where you're like, they're out to get me. Nobody likes me. This is going to be a bad situation. And when something small does happen, you're quick to think that it's some kind of evil plot instead of just, oh no, that horse was easily spooked and Stevie's running late. That would have been just a much easier way to go with this book, but I really prefer that it went the direction that it did because then we get the setup for the evil rich character. <laughs>
0: yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, Lisa has such main character syndrome in this moment where she was like, I am the center of this narrative and somebody is trying to sabotage me. And like, I feel like she pictures somebody like with one hand against, I don't know, like the edge of the stall and then the other hand on the handle, pulling it back. Everyone, listeners, just so that you know, I'm acting it out. Hannah and Laura can confirm. <laughs> pulling it back and then slamming it and then like running away and being like, ha I got
1: her. <laughs> And like the fact that it's like this little girl who's like, I have natural talent. So this girl had to ruin it for me in this particular moment to show that I wasn't all that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's so great. It's so rich in like middle school dynamics. What did you all think about this dynamic where in Lisa's mom is the one who's most invested in her becoming proficient in horseback riding. I think we kind of referred to this before when we were discussing class and money, but some of the reviews I read of the book, they they really praise like the kind of horse content, but they had some reservations about like kind of the the reality and the, um, maybe the fleshed outedness of some of the more human moments, such as the mom, like why does the mom care so much? And obviously like this is a book written for children. We always have to remember that. Um, but I'm just wondering if you had any reaction to that, if you if those reviews resonate with you
1: the mom made me a little uncomfortable when i was reading it because i was like why is she so invested in her daughter doing all these activities and like it's almost uh Allie, like you were saying when i was growing up i put a lot of pressure on myself but i very much had parents who were like you need to calm down you're totally. in sixth grade <laughs> it's yeah. not that big of a deal so the fact that the pressure was coming from her mom i i also think it goes back to what laura said that when you're a child and you're like 12 years old you you do think it's your parents putting all this pressure on you. So I could see where Bonnie Bryant, like writing from the perspective of children would feed into that rather than question it. And it seems like a lot of people noticed that that was happening in these books.
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think there is a thing where parents get very invested in different hobbies or talents that children have, especially, I mean, we can look at any pageant mom to have proof, but I feel like this isn't, oddly specific thing and there's no competitions involved. So it seems odd that her mom would be so worried about her being successful at Pine Hollow. So it it comes off a little weird to me. I guess it could happen. It just seems... Different.
0: Yeah, I wanted to know more about it. I, I think mm-hmm. that, that was all. Um, but Lisa is is so invested in making sure that she at least makes a good effort to make her mom happy that she decides to retaliate against Stevie um, and take a stand about this whole patch door slamming situation by tying Stevie's shoes in knots like over and over and over and over again. Like there are so many knots in these shoelaces.
1: And she is an expert knot maker because there is a paragraph about why she was able to make such successful
0: knots. So Wait, how funny is it that there's a paragraph about why she is good at tying knots, but not a paragraph about why her mom (laughs) really wants her to be good at horses? (laughs) (laughs) You pick and choose what's important <laughs> because 12 year olds. Got it. Valid. That's very, very good point, Laura. So clearly, like, she's not going to be friends with Stevie. Like, that's not going to go well. So enter Veronica, Veronica D'Angelo, who is like, I mean, with a name like that, you know, she's going to be a mean girl. What did we think about Veronica?
2: I'm pretty sure this name has been used in other stories as well. Veronica D'Angelo sounds like such a generic mean girl name. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was picturing like the princess switch girl. <laughs> like uh, Princess switch yes. girl, like the evil girl that comes in, like tosses a scarf over <laughs> her shoulder and is like, oh, don't be friends with those people. And like puts emphasis on those and come with me. I'll take you under my <laughs> wing. It's full of money. Which is great.
1: I thought she was also not as fleshed out. It goes back to what you're saying about like the good money versus the bad money, where a lot of her stuff is like, well, she has money and she's rich. So she's obviously going to be lazy and bossy and not listen well to others and need people to fawn all over her. But at the same time, like no one else in the book is fawning over her at the saddle <laughs> ranch. Like everyone's just kind of walking away from her. They've definitely
2: got her number.
1: Yeah. So I was like, well, it doesn't seem like she's the popular me girl. It seems like she's very much a lonely person. And so I did like look into future books to see if she ever becomes part of the saddle club because I feel like that's an, also a pretty main brand thing. But she does it. And there's one where she gets mad at a duchess who's coming to visit the horse stable because the queen's cousin was once mean to her. And that's when I'm like, how rich is Veronica? Like what's going on with this character?
0: Why does she know the queen?
1: It's so random. So
0: they live in Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Like
1: Veronica confused me. I felt like there was definitely like bad money vibes, definitely selfish bossy telling other people what to do. And, like, the biggest sin is she doesn't particularly like horseback riding, even though her parents make her a horseback ride and give her this beautiful horse. So Yes. But I also thought it was interesting to see, like, Veronica and Carol interact. Yeah. Because at one point, Lisa overhears them and Veronica insults. Or, yeah, she overhears Carol and Veronica fighting. And Lisa is like, upset because Veronica said she's actually bad at horse riding and Carol says to her like well if you want her to worship over you I'm not going to do anything about it yeah and Lisa is like that was really a dick move (laughs) and Carol's like but I really wanted to ride the horse so I threw you under the bus and let you befriend someone terrible yeah for very selfish reasons
0: (laughs) for very selfish reasons. And Hannah, you you noted that like the ultimate, sort of the, the ultimate proof of Veronica being like a bad person is the fact that she's not really interested in riding horses. And I would venture to say that even further than that or even worse than that is the fact that she neglects this horse Cobalt that she has, who is this very expensive, fancy horse that Carol is obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like much the way that in the Babysitter's Club, like whether or not you like to interact with babies And children is like the way that we judge characters. It's kind of the same way in the saddle club, where like the way that you do or do not engage with horses, like that's your like that's how we judge a character. Um that's like the moral authority in this book in the Pine Hollow community. And that makes sense. Like if you're a kid who is gonna make the choice to go ride horses, obviously you're gonna have some opinions about how your peers choose to treat the horses that are there especially the horses that your parents buy for you i just think it's kind of funny to read it as an adult who like is much older now and also as an adult who is like not involved in the horse world at all it's just like a very extreme and carol is so principled which i appreciate Mm -hmm. like she feels very strongly about the way that Cobalt is being treated and the fact that veronica does not deserve to have him um it reminds me a little bit of i think it was felicity in the american girl universe who um is really mad about the horse that Jiggy Nye has because yes. he's mistreating that horse like and and I do think like kids have such they have even more empathy for animals sometimes than adults do and that often is to kids a way that they like make a judgment about a human and and they feel a lot for animals right I did like in this book a lot how realistic it is about like
1: taking horse riding lessons because when I was taking horse riding lessons, a huge part was taking care of the horses and learning how to like take care of the tack and everything. And I did enjoy that. Although the character of Max who runs the horse farm, he's like just an all-knowing being to these little
0: girls. Yeah, he really is. He knows it. He knows it all.
1: Yeah. He's always watching. He always notices and he knows exactly what's going to happen. So
0: Yeah, I kind of liked him. Um, He did not let anything slide in class. There was no talking, there was no chit chat. In some ways, he was like their enemy because he was getting in the way of their socializing, but he also had a lot to teach, which was fun. Okay, so we we cannot miss the opportunity to talk about Stevie's business venture. And this is where it gets really Christy's big idea. It gets really (laughs) babysitters club and entrepreneurial. So I had mixed feelings about this throughout the book and I feel like we should break them down because at first I didn't really get what she was doing. She needs to raise money to be able to go on this trip. And so she is going to, rather than like doing a single math project, she's going to try to make all the money on her own. And at first it just seemed to me that she was like getting jobs, getting odd jobs from people in town and like just giving them to her her brothers primarily, and then like getting the money back because I felt like it wasn't initially very well explained that like, no, she was paying these kids and just taking a cut of what they earned. So at first I was like, this kind of is not a great look for Stevie. Like She's sort of like using all of these kids when she's the one who needs to make money. And obviously like it grew on me once I understood what she was doing, but I don't I don't know quite where I land. It would have been cool to see her doing some of the tasks on her own. I mean, I love an entrepreneurial girl. Like love somebody with some business know-how who understands commission at the age of 12, but what what did you think? Laura Stevie's your favorite, so do you want to defend yeah. her? Laura Grant, <laughs> right? I thought it was hilarious in
2: terms of the book, but from a realistic standpoint, there's no way a 12-year-old was coming up with this idea. And it just seems like it would have just been easier to do a couple of these jobs herself and get the full amount of money rather than kind of like farming out her brothers to do some of these jobs and being like, okay, I'll take a dollar from that and I'll take two dollars from that. And it seemed like it got overly complicated for her to the point where she didn't even realize that she was doing more work than if she would have just done the math project in the first place. It's very much just do your homework and none of this would have happened.
1: But I also knew like every, again, I'm an adult reading a book meant for 12 year olds. So when I was reading it, I was like, oh, she's gonna like start taking money from the boys and she's gonna need to keep track of it. And this is going to become her math problem. And like everything is solved. But then there were so many different steps. And you're right, Ali. at the beginning, I was like, well, it sounds like she's just giving away the jobs to her brothers. But then you find out she is taking a cut because... Lisa has an exposition dump and she tells you that's what she's
0: doing. (laughs) Lisa's coming in, coming in with the info.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, well, she's taking a commission. And so this is actually really smart, but there are certain things where like Stevie doesn't come out looking the greatest because first of all she doesn't do any of these jobs herself not a once. she takes phone calls and then she gets the commission and then two you find out she stole all the jobs from the kids in the first place because she like in the thing she handed out she's like i'm starving and i need shelter (laughs) because like at one point carol goes like well lots of people are looking for work. Why is everyone calling you? And she's like, Oh, because I lied to them and I said I was starving. And there's no comeuppance for her. That's just like a funny little
2: thing Stevie did.
0: So Right, like oh classic Stevie, Stevie yeah. being Stevie. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I also there are there were also times when she was like bribing her brothers to take certain jobs because mm-hmm. there were like girls that they had crushes on there and then she made it kind of a whole point about being like oh you know this family that hired me thinks I'm a boy because my name is Stevie and that's which is I mean I don't that's a whole other story like in terms of gender and like the way that she's perceived in this community like a whole other thing but there were just like some dishonest business practices at play so as much as I loved her like business acumen um you know I would have loved for her to do like a task just one
1: Well, and I mean, she ended up having to do the tasks because she blew all her money on CDs that she won, which
0: wasn't expecting that plot twist. (laughs) So funny. So several things about that. So she wins. She she wins a boombox like throwback. And so she's like, okay, great. Like, so thrilled to have this boombox, but I don't have anything to play on it. So she goes to the store and she, it was funny because it felt like that was the moment when she realized how much cash she has. Like she opened yeah. her wallet to buy ZDs and she's like, wow, look at all this money. I can totally go on the trip. And then she, in that moment, also like fails to like do the math to realize that like she can't spend all of it. And so she like, <laughs> loses, which felt very un to me. Like yeah. I feel like Stevie, yes. Stevie is better than this. Like Stevie would know when she should stop. But she basically blew all of her money on CDs. And then I just loved this whole like subplot where she becomes like addicted to listening to quote (laughs) rock music. And like, I think there's a line where she's like, Stevie loved two things, like riding horses and listening to rock music.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All through the CD players she won. I loved it. And then we also find out that like Stevie has some serious like emotional control issues. Because when she gets angry, like she gets angry at Lisa for tying her shoes into knots. And, like, she screams at Lisa so hard that Lisa's, like, mortified in front of all these people. Lisa's like, I know I deserve to be, like, gotten upset with, but not to this extent. And then when... Stevie finds out that she spent all her money on CDs and she got addicted to rock music. She throws like all her receipts everywhere and like makes another bigger problem because she, I was just like I think someone needs to like talk to Stevie about how to like deal with our emotions. <laughs> but also 12 year olds, lots
0: yeah. of 12
2: year olds have big emotions.
0: Laura, I feel like we're coming down pretty hard on your girls, Stevie. I
2: mean there were really big stakes. mountain trail overnight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you need to like come in and defend her because we're just we're all of a sudden we're coming in hot you
2: guys are totally missing what all of this meant (laughs) you're right
0: you're right i mean the good thing is is that lisa seems to have taken like an econ course because it's like (laughs) first of all carol let me explain what's going on because carol is like i don't i don't know what stevie's doing i've lost track lisa explains the whole like commission element to her Yeah. yeah and then um lisa is like Stevie, look, you already have all of this information written down about the jobs you've been doing. Like, just put all this together for a math project. So I don't think I ever had, like, a math project. Yeah, it seemed very involved. I would have done great. Like, I could have done this. I struggled with certain types of math. But, like, if I had just been given, like, free range to do a, an, a math project, I think I could have really done a great job.
1: Well, also the ethics on the girls on the back end after Stevie has lied and had questionable business practices where they're like, no, 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 no. We need to find every single piece of paper and make sure that every little piece of this is done or else you didn't finish the math project. When I'm like, cause they're like, oh, she had good record keeping for the past week, but she didn't keep anything for the last six days. And it's like, okay, then just don't identify the stuff that happened in the last six days. You could just move on from that section. I love the logic. Just have to be ethical at the end of things. It's right. okay. <laughs>
0: that's so good. But the good news is she completes the math project. And so she gets to go. They make the money. She completes the math project. Laura, to your point, they get to go on the overnight, which was really like, that's the high stakes stuff that this whole book is about. And not only that, but they start the Saddle Club. And um, I did want to read like the moment where the Saddle Club actually comes together because we are talking about the origin story. So Carol, of course, is like lolling about how like, oh, we're all so different. Like there's so, we're such a funny little group. And then she says, but we also have something in common, something very important to each of us. We all love horses. We love riding them. We love training them. We love taking care of them. Well, I'm not crazy about mucking out stalls, Stevie corrected Carol. I never said you were crazy, Carol teased her. I just said you were horse crazy. We all are, aren't we? You bet, Lisa agreed. Stevie nodded as well. Okay, so how about this? Today marks the beginning of the Saddle Club, all you have to do to belong is to be a friend to the other members, cute, uh, which may include things like helping on math projects or saddling difficult horses or promising to be a partner on an overnight trip. And you have to be horse crazy, right? So that's how it all comes together. I do think it's hilarious that like, Lisa has been doing this for like a few days and they're like, you have to love training horses.
2: Like, <laughs> all of the things that they mentioned, I'm
0: like, the only one who likes any of these things is Carol that
2: we know of.
0: <laughs> Carol. <laughs> Right. Like you guys like hanging out at the stables. Yeah. But it is very cute. Like I love a club. I do kind of want to like read more of these books because it made me feel good.
1: They were, because I read this all in one day because it is a, it's 144 pages of easy reading. But it was just nice to read about like three little girls who all have different interests because you need the self insert characters who are all like, And I think that that's also something when you're younger and you're 12, a lot of your friends are the people you're in class with. So you guys all might have like different things in common and just like there's one thing that brings you together and that's it. And I did like that. They're like, oh, we all love each other and we're definitely going to have our issues because we're so different.
0: But just remember, we're
1: going to be good friends to each other. I thought that was really sweet
0: yeah i also think they modeled a lot of really healthy like friend patterns i thought that they obviously were helpful to each other both with horse related tasks and then with the math project another one of my favorite moments was when carol apologizes to lisa for not telling her the truth about veronica being the one to slam the door and it's like a very honest forthright apology where she's basically like i didn't tell you because i didn't want veronica to get mad at me and not let me ride cobalt like that was really wrong And I hope you forgive me. And like, that's kind of a 10 out of 10 apology. Yeah. I also really loved the section where the like mom of Max
1: swoops in and has a moment with Carol where Carol's like, I'm kind of upset with my friends because they keep doing things that aren't good. And like, it's going to end up badly for them. And the mom is like, hey, I get it. You get to be frustrated. And sometimes all you can do is tell them how you feel and then accept that you can't control your friends. And I was like, well, that's really healthy for a 12 year old to learn. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love that moment, too. So on the whole, what did you think about this experience? How did coming back to the Saddle Club as an adult compare to your memories of it from when you were a kid? Laura, do you want to go first?
2: I mean, I think it was definitely a thing where like reading it now, I'm like, this is a very cute book, would totally like recommend it to little kids, but I think it was a book I probably would have enjoyed way, 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 way more as a little kid for the reasons, but yeah. Like it's easy now as a 30-year-old to be like, oh yeah, I called that from a mile away. But yeah, I think it's a really cute book, heartwarming. I wish that there were some things about it that were a little more realistic, but you can't win them all.
0: True. How about you, Hannah?
1: Uh, I really enjoyed this book. I have nieces and nephews and I was like, oh, this would be a cute little book for us to read together, like chapter by chapter, because they could get a lot of these themes. And like I said, I thought like you're right in the reviews that you read, Ali, that they're, the horse stuff is really on par where they like explain what tack is, where they explain how to put a saddle on a horse. And that's really helpful for little kids who maybe can't spend money to get private horse riding lessons, but want the escapism of like learning about horses. So it's, it was a great read for me.
0: Yeah, very well said. So what other than the saddle club, have you been reading and loving that you would recommend to our listeners? I will make sure to link all of these titles in our show notes.
2: Laura, you want to go first? Sure. So I will recommend two books that I recently read The Princess Trap by Talia Hibbert. It was excellent if you're into kind of like the prince who ends up with a non-royal type romance and there's a little bit of drama involved you'll love it and then another book that i read was silver in the wood by emily Tesh, and that's a it's a duology but it's a novella and so it's kind of based on like the legend of the green man and you get a little bit of queer romance so it's really good check both of those out cool
0: how about you hannah
1: Um, I just finished last night, like 1130 at night, I finished a book that's coming out in April. Oh, it'll be out a week before this comes out. But it's called Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Tinghui Zhang. I did not pronounce her name correctly. And I apologize for the mispronunciation. But um, it's a historical fiction novel about um, a girl who grows up in China and then she is kidnapped and sent to America. And it's about her trying to escape. And she kind of runs away to the old West in Idaho. Um, It's kind of based on some real world experiences. And it was, Very good and very deep. Highly recommend. Um, I've also been reading the Jasmine Guillory, like while we were dating series and all that stuff and enjoying it so much. Um, And then Laura and I actually last month, we usually do a huge series. But last month in February, two months ago now, apologizing for all the times I put what time we're (laughs) in right now. But we read Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. And that is an amazing science fiction, like fantasy book that we both adored we also read She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which was also an amazing fantasy that we highly recommended. We loved talking about them on our podcast.
0: Cool. Well, you gave us lots of good variety with those recommendations. So listeners, again, check out the show notes for this episode to get the full list. You can also find the list in our bookshop.org storefront, which is linked in the link at SSR's Instagram. So you mentioned your podcast, Hannah. Can you tell me a little bit more about On Wednesdays We Read? Because anybody who's listening to SSR should absolutely go check it out.
1: Yeah, Laura and I are two best friends. Uh, We've known each other since college and we do a podcast called On Wednesdays We Read or as we like to call it, Our Pod. Um, And we cover a different book series, one book at a time. It's a pretty easy podcast to listen to. We cover one book a month, so it's an easy list lift for everyone. Right now we are reading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. It's a 14 book series. It's pretty intense, but we cover the plot, the characters, everything in between, and our next series we just pitched was we will be doing the Poppy Wars by RF Kwong, So a little bit for everyone. And if you guys don't want to listen to a deep dive onto Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, at the beginning of the episode, we do about 30 to 40 minutes of just chit chat. We talk about what TV shows we're watching, what books we're reading, and it's a lot of fun. So you guys should check us out if you like listening to SSR.
0: So fun. Yes. I always love to recommend other book podcasts to the community, and I'll make sure to link to your social media and uh, have info out there for where to find your show. But it was so fun talking to you both. Such a great way to spend the afternoon. And yeah, I mean, Horse Girls Forever, right?
1: <laughs> Horse Forever. Girls Forever. Check out the library in a couple of years for our goat book series. Goat Club. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's going to be big. I have a good feeling about it. And stay tuned for Laura's Goat Yoga, which I can't wait to hear more about. <laughs> Definitely. Go Girls Forever. (laughs) Go Girls Forever. Thanks, (laughs) Hannah. Thanks, Laura. Bye. 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 SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, Behind the scenes inside scoop and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.